Welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, CEO and founder of Project Purple. And today we're on the phone with Eugene Coy, Assistant Professor, GI Section, Department of Radiation Oncology at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Welcome, Eugene, to the Project Purple Podcast. Thanks, Dino. It's great to be here. And Eugene, you're calling in from balmy Houston, which I think, what, what was the temperature this morning or today? I, you know, I know you've been... Uh, oh, gosh. I, I rode my bike in from work, from work this morning, so it was actually pretty temperate. It was like you know, the high 70s, but right now it's 92 and rising, and it feels like 99. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I remember when we, when we started to do some work with you guys a couple years ago, and I was talking to your colleague there, uh, Anurban Mietra, and, and I think you were on the conversation as well. And I said, well, I'm going to come for a site visit. And you guys said, like, come in January if you can. <laughs> 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 it's the best time of year. So we will get there eventually, maybe uh, in late fall, like end of November, early December would probably be ideal. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple podcast. And we're excited uh, for our listeners at home. Uh, Eugene has been a recipient of a research grant here at Project Purple a couple years back. And we love bringing on our recipients to talk about what they're doing uh, with the funds that we've invested in their program and their research. So I know we're going to jump into that in a little bit, Eugene. But for our listeners at home that don't know anything about you, and feel free to share as much of your history and your background as you'd like, or as little. Um, so for our listeners at home, why don't we give them an introduction to who you are and what you're doing and, and maybe uh, what got you into the field that you're currently in? First of all, Dino, thank, thanks so much for, for giving me the opportunity to be on your podcast today and for all the support that your organization and you have provided to, to my lab and you know the research that we're doing. I, I can't thank you enough. It's, it's been a tremendous you know, boon to, to everything that we're trying to do. So I, I want to really you know, reach out to you guys and thank you and all, all of your support team as well um, for all the fundraising that you guys do to the marathon um, other activities that you that you do this is amazing work that you that you guys are uh, a part of so I, I'm, I'm really honored to, to be a, a grant recipient from you um, so as far as my background is concerned um, you know my my journey to, to getting to cancer was was a pretty personal one actually my my grandfather was diagnosed with stomach cancer um, whenever I was in eighth grade. Um, and he actually was planning to come down to MD Anderson for treatments. We, we lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas at the time. And once we you know, found out about the diagnosis, you know, my parents and you know, the rest of our family tried to get all the resources together to try to bring him down to the number one cancer center. And, you know, all I had heard about it at the time, whenever I was in eighth grade, was just how great of a place it was, but, you know, and just by reputation and, you know, the, the ads that they had out there, but we really had no other idea or conception of what it was like. Um, but his cancer was so aggressive that despite, you know, trying to do all that and get him down here for, you know, his treatments, um, it was so aggressive that he, he passed away before we were even able to come down to Houston. Um, and that was an eye-opening and devastating experience. I mean, this was a, my grandfather, and he was someone who raised me, um, you know, from from the very beginning. You know, I, my very first you know memories were were of him and you know my grandmother and you know my parents, and that was just you know the introduction you know in my life to you know just how devastating cancer can be to, to somebody, and. Through high school and you know my undergraduate years at Rice University and you know subsequently medical school, um, I, I recalled that as you know, my inspiration to you know being a part of um, going into medicine and being a part of you know the care of patients. And I was always drawn to cancer um, throughout my medical training, you know, because of that personal experience that I um, went through with my grandfather and. Found you know several mentors and you know people who inspired me to look beyond just what we have at the present moment um, as far as treatments and you know, diagnostic tools. 
that was always something that fascinated me both as a, a child as well as you know throughout my 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 training um, you know, through my medical professional uh, career and I wanted to to contribute something beyond you know just what we currently have and that that's what really spurred me to to get into research and I, I was fortunate along the way I, I had great mentors uh, including a, a Nobel laureate in uh, Rich Rich Smalley. Um, who was at Rice University? He he discovered the the buckyball, you know, the carbon, uh, you know, nanotubes, and you know, it basically helped to spur the entire field of nanotechnology. So he he showed me how you can take an idea from conception and bring it to the masses, and you know, just completely change our world. I mean, that that was something that was just inspiring to be a part of his lab and see him in action. I mean, he's the type of guy that. You could actually, you know, go to him with a question. You know, he may not know the answer immediately, but the next day he'll have read, you know, the the most relevant books about it and teach, you know, give you an entire hour long lecture about it. Um, just an amazing and smart guy. And you know, I also ran into other mentors at Rice you know, who were able to invent things as part of their research. Um, you know, Kiriakos Adanasio was my PhD mentor. And he showed me how, you know, if you have both a PhD as well as an MD, um, you know, this is, you know, the way that he encouraged me to, to make a difference in the world. Um, he was a PhD by training and did not have the medical degree behind his name and felt that that was actually a hindrance to the ability for him to translate the, the inventions that he um, in his laboratory had made. And so he really encouraged me to, to really go after both so that I could ha have you know, the insights from the patients and get inspiration about the research from them. And then also go back to the laboratory, you know, invent things or come up with new ideas to help the patients that I'm seeing um, and use that as the, you know, the guide, you know, to, you know, make a difference here and, you know, um, go through my career uh, to change the, the, the standard of care or the way that we practice medicine for, for patients with cancer. So that that's really who inspired me to to go this route of the MD PhD. Um, and as I went through my medical degree um, at Baylor College of Medicine, um, I also ran into two great mentors in radiation oncology. And you know, Ben Tay, um, who's at you know Houston Methodist um, here uh, in the Texas Medical Center, uh, as well as uh, you know Chris Crane and Fergran Das, you know, both radiation oncologists, you know, gastrointestinal cancers. Uh, they inspired me as to you know how I could really focus my energy on you know the the treatment and care of uh, patients with GI cancers, and that's what got me eventually into the MD Anderson you know, radiation department. Um, I, I did some research with you know another nanotechnology guy at you know Houston Methodist, uh, Amoro Ferrari. Um, you know he he's a, a big name in terms of nanotechnology as well as the physics of cancer. And that's what really got me focused on the current research that I'm doing now, um, you know, which is looking at how we can use the imaging for pancreatic cancer to help guide the treatment of patients and also detect the cancer earlier um, so that we may be able to find it at um, stages where it can still be resected and potentially cured. Uh, so that that's kind of the, the long-winded answer, I guess, to your question. I'm sorry if I, if I took <laughs> No, it. no, no. That's that's um, fascinating stuff. So, yeah, I, so I have been taking notes here, and it sounds like you've had so many mentors along the way. And yeah. I guess that's something that, you know, anyone who's successful in anything always has mentors. And I, I guess that's probably a reason why you're where you are at the top of your game and doing what you're doing. So I, I commend you for that. And then secondly, so I've got two things here. And one of them is a question and then um, which, <clears throat> excuse me, the MD-PhD seems to be more common now than it was maybe 20 years ago. Are you seeing that in your field now with people that you're mentoring now, Eugene, that that's kind of the track that people are taking? You know, it's, it's kind of a split these days, honestly. Um you know, it, there there is definitely a, a a large influx of researchers, especially MD PhDs, to to do pancreatic cancer research. So that that may be you know one of the reasons why you've made that observation because you've you've been so involved with. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, from from a wider you know kind of cancer oncology standpoint, um, you know, it's I'd say that the the influx of talented people into the you know medical um, you know physician scientist track with the MD PhD you know has has, been, has stayed pretty steady, steady. but it's, it's still a a very select few, um, you know, we're, we're a minority among all the, the overall researchers out there. Most of the researchers out there either have an MD only or a PhD only. Not, not to say only, but I mean, that, that's, you know, the, 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 track. That the track that they've taken. Correct. Um, but they're still able to do you know, either clinical or translational or basic science with any of those types of degrees. It really depends on the person and, you know, what, what kind of journey they want to take to, to get to their scientific career. Um, so I'd say that it stayed pretty, it has stayed pretty stable. I, I haven't seen any recent statistics on it, but just my observation and seeing students come through the lab and you know through our department, um, you know, it's, it's a fair mix of both MD PhDs as well as you know, students who have MDs um, you know, behind their name. So for our listeners at home, Eugene, typically when you go into the science world, you either take uh, an MD tract, a medical doctor, or a PhD tract. Correct. That's correct, and you know the 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 routes to, to getting to science can, can be a really personal one, uh, really depending on you know how, how you want to you know formulate your career and who, like you said you know who who your mentors are along the way, and sometimes these things are just happen chance. Um, you know, for me after I you know came to MD Anderson, got my got into the residency program in radiation oncology. Um, you know, it's just a, a very intellectually rich and diverse, you know, environment as far as science and, um, you know, clinical work is concerned. So uh, after, even after all those mentors that I, I mentioned earlier, um, I, I ran into even more mentors along the way. Um, you know, Joe Herman, you know, is a, another GI radiation oncologist who's a very close mentor to me now. You know, Anderban Mitra, who you mentioned earlier, is mm-hmm. also a, a great mentor to me from the basic science standpoint. Um, and th- those are the types of individuals who, along the way, you know, kind of help open your eyes to the, the opportunities that are out there. And, you know, for the students who are out there who are interested in, you know, just getting a taste for it, you know, you don't have to, have to necessarily get the formal training. It's, it's really getting into the right environment and having the right type of mentor uh, to, to guide you along the way and you know, kind of tell you, you know, what are the things that you need to work on build that type of career um, if, if that's one that you want to pursue. In a lot of schooling, because that does add an additional time in terms of this, the education standpoint and the residency and fellowship. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, time is definitely <laughs> yeah. one of the things. Yeah, it's like the, the rite of passage, right? Yeah. You've you kind of got to go through some of these things to, to get to that point. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of routes to, to a successful career these days. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that there's any one particular formula for success anymore. You know, there's there's so many diverse routes to, to getting to, um, you know, a scientific or you know, academic career these days. That I, I'd say that, you know, time is one is certainly one component of it. You know, you know there's, there's not too many ways to accelerate a medical degree or a, a PhD. You know, you still have to put the time into it and, um, you know, get get the the publications and grants out there if if you want to go an academic route. But um, you know, I, I think it's you know it's, it's again a, a personal one. I, I've seen a lot of very successful people who just do one year of research fellowship and you know come out just as superstars and are are shining and making great contributions. So it it, it also depends on the person and you know just how hard they want to work. True. True. So my second question to that that we're on uh, the topic, why radiation oncology? Was it the mentors that you had along the way or was there something about radiation oncology when you were going through the training and through the schooling that really kind of sparked your interest? Yeah. Um, you know, going back to that guy, Binte, um, you know, he, he gave a, a really inspiring lecture about radiation oncology. This was literally about two months before... I had to submit my applications for residency application um, you know, in my senior year of medical school. And he gave this really enthralling and inspiring lecture about you know, all the technology that radiation oncology had to offer, what different 
difference it made in patients' lives. And I was, you know, just blown away. And at the time, I was thinking about going into diagnostic radiology, which is a completely different field, um, you know, from radiation oncology. And, you know, had actually lined up all my, um, you know, letters of recommendation and, you know, all, all of my residency applications towards that. Um, but then he gave this, you know, just amazing thing. And I, I had not heard about radiation oncology up until that point, honestly. And so I went up to him and asked him, um, hey, Dr. Tay, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, inspired by your lecture. And I, I wonder, you know, just how competitive this field is. And he looked at me and he just kind of, you know, smiled and said, well, uh, it's probably the most competitive residency application out there right now. So, you know, you've got about two months. So why don't yeah. you try doing a, a, a rotation with us and then do a rotation at MD Anderson and see how it goes and make a, a decision from there. And, you know, you, you've got some time. Uh, and he encouraged me. He, he said, you know, maybe do a research project with me. You know, let's get some papers out for you and, you know, we'll, we'll try to get you into a, into a good program. And, you know, it just took off from there. I, I was I was very fortunate, again, you know, just running into him, you know, having his guidance and then also having, you know, great mentors at MD Anderson, uh, you know, Chris Crane and, and Program Das. Um, you know, they both kind of took me under their wing and, you know, helped, you know, guide me along the process. And, you know, I was able to match into a great residency program, you know, wind up with a, you know, a nice start to the career. Um, so I, I, I feel very fortunate. That's awesome. Well, we, we thank you for picking and doing this. And the last question on this subject, and I ask all the scientists, and I know you explained before, you know, getting into the field of oncology with your grandfather having stomach cancer, but why pancreatic cancer? Was there somewhere, someone along the way that I, I know we've talked to surgeons and one surgeon that we talked to said, hey, I, I went in in my rotation and I saw a Whipple and I was just so fascinated by it. And I said, that was it. Like they were sold like the first Whipple that they sat in on. So yeah. was there a moment in time or was there maybe there was, a, someone who yeah. was involved in it that really inspired you or was a mentor along the way? Yeah, it, there were there were actually multiple moments in time that just kept on seeming to push me towards pancreatic cancer. Um, you know, during my, my rotation as a medical student at MD Anderson with Chris Crane, you know, he, he's a pancreatic cancer specialist with radiation, you know, has published on, you know, how higher doses of radiation for pancreatic cancer, you know, can help to extend survival times for patients. You know, he was doing that work whenever I was a medical student, and I was actually seeing him in action at that time. Um, you know, and at the time, you know, it was, it was a, you know, just as it is now, a very dismal prognosis. Um, so there was, there was quite a bit of, um, you know, nihilism, to be quite honest with you about, you know, the research with it, you know, that was going on, you know, back in 2008, whenever I was a medical student and rotating with, with Chris Crane um, and, and seeing these, you know, higher doses of radiation being delivered. But then as I went through my residency with him, you know, did some research projects, um, you know, I got involved with a grant program, you know, with Moro Ferrari at you know, Houston Methodist during my postdoc where they were also looking at pancreatic cancer. And, you know, I was thinking back to my medical school days, you know, with Chris Crane and, you know, how, you know, we were interested in looking at these higher doses and using some of the imaging characteristics, you know, to help us select patients for that. And, you know, Dr. Ferrari's grant was interested in looking at how, what we call transport properties, you know, these physical attributes of how drugs get to, um, you know, the tumors and, you know, kill the cancer cells that way, you know, it's, it's a delivery problem, you know, in the mind of, you know, these, um, these physicists in Dr. Ferrari's lab. So I, I came up with the idea, um, you know, to maybe combine that idea with, um, you know, what Chris Crane was doing, you know, back at MD Anderson and use the CT scans to, to measure these physical attributes of the pancreatic tumors. Hmm. And, you know, that led to another mentor of mine, Jason Fleming, you know, who was, you know, actually measuring and studying how gemcitabine, you know, a chemotherapy drug for pancreatic cancer was actually being delivered to these cells. And what we found was that, you know, the, 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 the imaging, you know, could actually help us to predict how much drug could get to the tumor, which was, you know, in and of itself, you know, a new discovery and something that was really exciting. 
how the patients, um, you know, survived and how they responded to the, you know, chemotherapy and radiation treatments that we gave them. And so, you know, at these two different points in time, you know, there, there were, you know, both pancreas opportunities or, you know, experiences that kind of, you know, opened my mind to, um, you know, doing research in that realm. And from there, you know, once we got that, you know, paper published with Dr. Ferrari and Dr. Fleming, um, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. And, you know, it, it was um, you know, that, that got Honor Bon Maitre involved. Um, you know, I, I got a laboratory space, you know, in his, um, you know, pancreatic cancer research center, you know, that was, you know, sponsored by the Khalifa Foundation um, at MD Anderson. Um, and, you know, was able to get, you know, Project Purple funding, um, also got funding from, you know, the AACR and um, PANCAN. And, you know, all those things just have, you know, kept me engaged and, you know, interested and, you know, really excited about what we can do with um, the, the research that, you know, has, has been spurred by all those experiences whenever I, you know, date back to 2008. Um, and as I, as I see my patients with pancreatic cancer these days and treat them with radiation, um, you know, you, you kind of see the, the results of all that research that has been done. Um, and the, the, the body of work that we've, you know, been able to produce um, at that time and seeing that, you know, this is translating into, you know, better outcomes for our patients. Um, and, you know, it, it is exciting to, to be a part of, you know, both kind of the translational part of it, you know, the discovery of these things with the imaging um, and the biomarkers that we can derive from it, as well as, you know, seeing in real time, you know, as I make a decision about, you know, how I want to treat a, a patient, a particular patient, you know, with radiation, you know, for their pancreas cancer, um, you know, and then seeing them in follow-up, you know, several years afterwards, um, and that they're doing well, you know, is, is you know, just something that I, I feel very fortunate to be a part of, very gratitude, you know, grateful, you know, to all the experiences that have, you know, led up to this point. Well, as I said before, we're glad you're in this, uh, you're on our team on this side uh, in terms of pancreatic cancer. And that's awesome. Uh, everything you've accomplished, Eugene, in, in really a short period of time. Um, just to shift gears here a little bit and talk about what you're doing day to day. And I've got to be really upfront yeah. with you and, and our audience at home. I don't know, you know, traditionally, and I think, and this is going to, I think, be a great segue for us here and, and hopefully for our listeners at home. Can you talk to the degree of radiation oncology for pancreatic cancer? Because I think this is something that's been really foreign, I think, for probably the majority of the population of people that are dealing with this disease. Because I know, I mean, okay, so we've been doing this now eight years, and I know maybe a handful of patients over the eight years have done radiation oncology. Now it's becoming more and more popular as an alternative um, and as also as, a, as an addition to the current cocktail of treatments that they're on, whether that's chemotherapy or, or some other frontline treatment. But talk to our audience, and, and I'd love to hear from you, for myself, yeah. about radiation oncology and how it's being used for pancreatic cancer because it's typically not a first-line treatment, correct or incorrect? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're touching upon one of the, probably one of the more controversial subjects uh, for this disease right now as we speak. Um, the role of radiation, you know, has traditionally been, you know, taken as like an alternative um, or a capstone to the chemotherapy treatments for mm -hmm. patients with unresectable locally advanced disease. Um, here at MD Anderson, we, we typically do some radiation before surgery uh, because that does help in terms of controlling the disease in the local vicinity where it starts as well as helps with the, um, the post-operative pancreatic duct leak that can happen after the surgeon connects the, the pancreas back to the bowel. Yep. Um, you know, so that, that duct leak can actually be a, um, a major um, you know, post-surgical complication that patients experience. But we find that whenever you do radiation, that actually reduces that, that duct leak significantly. Um, Why know, is by, that? By almost fivefold. It's because radiation causes um, scar tissue. Yeah. Yep. So whenever the, scar, the scarring of the healthy normal pancreas and the duct happens post-radiation, after radiation happens, um, that makes 
easier for the surgeon to to grab a hold of it and you know connect it to the bowel. Hmm. Um, whereas you know it's it's otherwise a very thin membrane. Correct. Yeah. That's very difficult to visualize even in the operating room with magnifying glasses. And so it takes a very skilled surgeon to take that and suture it back to the bowel um, so that there's you know no leak uh, between the the pancreatic juices, which you know are are digestive enzymes. Those are yeah. things that are going to break down your fat, your proteins, and carbohydrates. So if that stuff leaks into your abdomen, you know that could be a life-threatening complication. And so what we found is that the radiation actually helps with that post-surgical, um, you know, toxicity or a complication, you know, whenever you do the radiation before surgery. So that that's been our practice at MD Anderson. Um, but otherwise, um, you know, radiation's role has been evolving over these past few um, years because several negative clinical trials have come out. Um, there was a, a very large study that was published a few years ago um, called the LAPO-7 study from, uh, from France. Um, and that was looking at whether chemotherapy versus chemotherapy followed by radiation in you know, patients with um, unresectable pancreatic cancer um, might be beneficial. Um, and so what they found was that there was no difference in the survival outcomes, um, although patients who got the radiation had better control rates within the pancreatic tumor area, um, they still had distant metastasis, uh, meaning that the, the cancer spread outside of the pancreas and to other organs, um, regardless of the radiation. And so that the distant metastasis is where, you know, radiation is not something that will help, where radiation does not help. Um, you know, we're, we're focusing our radiation being on the pancreatic tumor itself and the surrounding lymph nodes. Um, but not on things like the liver or the lungs or the abdominal cavity where the cancer can spread to. And so that, that's why radiation's role in this particular disease um, is so controversial and you know, fairly limited. Um, it, is, it, it should be done in patients where the disease biology um, is not one that rapidly spreads to other organs. Um, if you are, so our practice has been where if you do chemotherapy for you know around three to six months and we don't see any disease progression in other organs, that's whenever we consider doing some radiation. Um, and again, our, our practice has been to escalate the radiation dose um, here at our institution, and we have um, you know a, a couple of clinical trials that are evaluating that. And what our data suggests is that, you know, in these selected patients, you know, the ones where the chemotherapy is able to control the disease, it doesn't spread outside the pancreas. Whenever we do these higher doses of radiation, uh, our data suggests that this might actually be a good alternative to surgery for patients who are not eligible to have the, the Whipple surgery or the, the pancreatectomy uh, because these higher doses, you know, are basically killing off the, the remaining cancer cells. So this is, you know, how we envision the the role of the radiation to be, you know, in a selected group of patients, you know, who who have, you know, better biology, um, where the chemotherapy is actually something that, you know, is is effective for them. Um, in the ones where we're seeing disease progress despite the chemotherapy, um, the radiation role is going to be, you know, more of a palliative treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we still do that for some patients where they might get obstruction. You know, of their bowels because of the t- the pancreatic tumor, or you know, things like um, you know a blockage of their their blood vessels. Um, so radiation has a role in that, but it's not as more. Of, it's not not the definitive sort of radiation treatment that I that I was talking talking about earlier. So it, it's it's really selected patients, and you know that that's where I envision the the role of radiation um, being for patients going forward, um, at least until we develop more drugs that are effective against. So is there a percentage, Eugene, in your experience and what you guys are doing there in terms of people who come in, if we had 100 people come in for pancreatic cancer at various stages, is there a set percentage that you're seeing that are are getting the radiation oncology treatment? Yeah. So you know, probably about 60% of patients wow. with you know, metastatic disease will not ever see us. You know, they, they come in with stage four disease at diagnosis, you know, where the disease has spread to the liver and other organs. Um, they're, they're probably not going to get radiation at, you know, at any point. Um, I, I'd say maybe like 5% of those would ever get any radiation. 
So if they have another aesthetic disease, then they're not a candidate for radiation oncology, or would usually, they? Yeah, usually, usually not. Okay. Um, I mean, again, in palliative situation, you know, the radiation might actually be beneficial um, for for some pain relief or you know the obstruction that you know, I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, probably not. Uh, in patients with locally advanced disease, that we think that that comprises around thirty to forty percent of patients. Um, so I would say probably about half of those patients, maybe even up to 60 or 70% of patients might benefit from some localized radiation treatments. Um, and again, we're, we're talking about modern radiation treatments um, at this point. Um, you know, the conventional treatments of radiation with you know, five and a half weeks of radiation are, are something that most you know, oncologists in the field you know, are, are starting to shy away from. Um, there, there's a push to go more towards um, a shorter course of radiation so that you can get patients through it faster and you know, not interrupt their chemotherapy. Um, and it seems to be better tolerated uh, where there's less nausea, there's less fatigue, you know, less you know, gastrointestinal side effects um, from the radiation treatment because these are very highly conformal focused radiation beams. They're, they're not these large fields of radiation that we used to do in the past. And again, you know, some of these clinical trials that I was talking about earlier um, use these larger fields as well as these longer courses of radiation. So the role of the modern radiation techniques you know, still, still remains to, define, to be defined as well. So in these you know, 50% or so of patients with locally advanced disease, um, you know, that those are the patients where I, I think that the radiation, you know, could, could potentially help to, um, you know, improve the, the survival times of the patients because these are the patients where surgery is not necessarily an option anymore. Um, and so in, in lieu of the, the surgery, you know, where surgery is not, not an option because of the local extent of the tumor, you know, involving the blood vessels or things like that, you know, the radiation may be able to help sterilize that area and, you know, Give the patients, um, you know, some some improvement in their um, their control of the of the tumor there, and then you know there's about ten percent or fifteen percent of patients who have um, you know resectable disease, where they have they are eligible for surgery. Um, in those situations, uh, again, MD Anderson has practiced doing chemo radiation before surgery, um, you know, prior you know because of the the control rates in the pancreas area as well as the, the pancreatic duct leaks. Um, that's, that's, again, a, a, a controversial topic because the, not everybody necessarily does the radiation in that setting. Um, you know, I, I think in, in those situations, it's really kind of an institution-by-institution institution sort of um, you know, decision. Uh, but we, we feel that it, there are you know, both oncologic benefits in terms of the control rates and then also kind of the, the side benefits of the, the pancreatic duct So I have two comments here, or two questions, I should say. Well, one question and a comment. So when we talk about, in my experience personally, like my mom is a two-time breast cancer survivor, and the first time that she had breast cancer back in 01, she had a lumpectomy and then radiation oncology, and um, she had radiation. And as you said, you mentioned it's that broad kind of approach where they blast the entire breast or the entire region. What we're talking about here for our listeners at home is a very precise, complicated, not, well, it is complicated, but a very precise and narrow field in terms of where they are putting, where you guys are focusing the radiation to the area of the body. Yeah. Unlike traditional radiation oncology, which is a little bit more broader, not for all cancers. I know I had a friend who had, I think, esophageal cancer and he had radiation and it was really focused on his you know, esophagus there. And, um, you know, that was very precise as well. But so this is very intense and very precise. With the term nano knife, is it similar to that type of radiation, um, Eugene? First of all, yes. This is very precise radiation that we're talking about. Um, you know, we call it stereotactic body radiation therapy um, or using stereotactic techniques where you can deliver these higher doses. Um, so the toxicity with that is much lower compared to the conventional fractionation and you know techniques that were used in the past. Um, as far as 
nano knife is concerned, um, that's that's actually a, a different form of um, cancer therapy, where you're actually using um, electrical field uh, oh, okay. to to treat the cancer, and so it's it's not necessarily radiation therapy, you know, ionizing radiation, you know, as we conventionally have used in the past. Um, this is just another way to, you know, cause damage to the cancer cells and mm-hmm. try to kill them that way. Okay, thank you for that clarification. Because um, I've heard nano knife a couple times from a couple of families, and um, yeah. again, not knowing. And then I think my one comment, and for our listeners at home, the complexity that you talked about, and thank you for explaining um, everything that goes into that. I think it's critical, and I've always said this, and and you just backed everything up that I've been saying for the last eight years, is if you're not going to a high-volume center or a center of excellence, then the patients are really missing out on opportunities that could be life-changing. And I know you probably won't emphatically say that because I know you're a good guy, but I, I will emphatically say it to our listeners at home. If you can get to a center of excellence, if you can get to MD Anderson, and there's a bunch of other centers across the country that are focusing on pancreatic cancer and doing the things and similar things, not identical things, but similar things that are making a difference, um, it's truly a game changer. And this is what gets me excited, You know, just hearing what you are doing there for the community at large what you just mentioned, how you're doing radiation oncology prior to surgery and how beneficial that is, that with the, the findings that you guys are finding is huge. That's yeah, gigantic, thanks. you know, and for the listeners at home, you know, that maybe aren't in the pancreatic cancer space, these are milestones. These are these are the things that we are grasping and, and clawing and digging and trying to get to because the disease is so bad. So uh, that's awesome stuff, man. That gets me so excited hearing what you guys are doing. This is phenomenal. Uh, thanks, you know. I mean, it, you know, there there is you know there there's data out there that shows that you know the complication rates and you know quite honestly the the survival rates of patients with pancreatic cancer are better whenever they go to you know, high volume center. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, and you know, there's the, there's data to back it up. Um, I mean, it's, it's not to you know toot our own horn or anything like that. I mean, this is something that we we live and breathe. We think about every day, constantly. Um, you know, how can we make this better for this individual patient, and how can we personalize it? And that that's the the type of care that happens whenever you have surgeons, radiation oncologies. You know, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, radiologists, and interventional radiologists all working together as a team. Um, you don't necessarily get that at um, non-specialized centers. You know, um, out there in community practice. You know, there, there's definitely very well-intentioned individuals who, who actually, you know, may have quite a lot of experience with the disease, but if they're doing it in a vacuum without the input from their other colleagues or other specialists who have the same sort of passion as they do, um, the the level of care may not necessarily be as good. So that that's where I think the difference lies whenever it comes to coming to, you know, MD Anderson or any other sort of academic center where, you know, they see a lot of patients. Um, so I, I, I do echo your, your, your sentiments. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of good community practices out there, um, but... You know, it, it, whenever it comes to, to actually getting your, your therapy and, you know, getting everything, you know, done, if you can do it, um, you know, and get to an academic high-volume center, you know, that, that would be the way I would encourage patients to go. Absolutely. And that's where the change is going to occur, though, as well, Eugene, is, you know, the things you guys are doing there, the things you are trying to implement will eventually get to the community level, we hope. Um, but for, as we know, with patients that are battling pancreatic cancer, you know, there, there, there isn't a lot of options when you go to those community settings. So in order to get into clinical trials or to get things that we just talked about, you got to go to a high volume academic center. You just have to. And, and I've been preaching that since day one, just through my own personal experience that I saw night and day with my dad going from a, a very good community hospital um, is actually part of a national network of hospitals to a larger academic setting and um, seeing you know a high volume center and then now dealing with so many of our partners that we 
invest in and you know MD Anderson being one of them and your team there and everything you're doing it's just phenomenal to see what's it's night and day and I I know uh, I can say that and I know you're very kind in your words but uh, you know for our listeners at home if they can and, and there's great resources out there there's many organizations we've we've got a referral network and there's other groups as well that do similar things as well to try to help facilitate that for the patients um, that are in those communal settings that don't have necessarily access to a center like MD Anderson, but could use assistance to get there. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. You know, and I mean, this is where I, I can't thank you um, as well as other you know organizations out there that support and advocate you know uh, for patients and you know just get the word out. Um, you know, I've had several patients of mine you know where I referred to, to you and your team to you know to help get all the resources that. You know that, that that they needed to you know understand you know the journey and you know what to expect as well as what all the resources that are that are out there, um, both as as far as educational materials as well as financial support. So you know I can't thank you guys enough for for everything that you guys do. Uh, no worries. There's no I in team, as I say. So this is a team approach. So I got another question for you, Eugene. Yeah. For our listeners at home, what can be done? For the disease today that you're currently working on and what should be done for the field that you're in with regards to radiation oncology for the disease. So maybe there's some things that you're doing now that you want to talk about. I know we've worked on some projects. I know I saw you out at ASCO GI in San Francisco back in January and you were super excited to present some of the findings um, that you've been working on. And I know there's some other things that, you know, if you'd like to share or things that you can share with our audience that maybe might be coming down the line that we're excited to hear about and you're excited to share about the field of radiation oncology. So as far as you know, things just in general that are happening right now. Um, you know, I, I've been really fortunate to, to be involved in several national level, um, you know, research projects. Um, one of the, probably one of the most important ones that um, we've been involved with, you know, Anurban uh, Maitra and, you know, Suresh Chari have been leading this effort um, along with PanCan and the NCI, where we're trying to identify patients with new onset diabetes um, who are at higher risk of developing pancreatic cancer. Um, so I, I'm involved on the imaging side to help, you know, delineate what are the, you know, imaging parameters that we need to use whenever we take these patients and look for pancreatic lesions um, and, and how will we analyze those images. And, you know, that's related to the work that Project Purple has you know, helped to fund me for, where we're trying to look for imaging markers that can help us to identify those lesions at an earlier stage uh, because our current imaging is not sensitive or specific enough to really hone in on the disease uh, because there's a lot of there's a lot of noise with our current imaging techniques and so we've been working on ways to improve that both you know through computer algorithms as well as through um, you know quantitative um, you know mathematical modeling that that will allow us to improve the, that sensitivity and specificity um, to, to achieve the, the rate that we need to actually make it clinically useful for patients uh, whenever it comes to a screening tool um, or, or just a diagnostic tool in general. So th- that's one of the one of the exciting things that's um, you know coming down the pipe. Um, and some some patients out there um, may may hear about this um, at their community centers because we're primarily looking to recruit patients for the study um, through high-volume community or academic centers um, where they, they see a lot of patients who don't necessarily have a diagnosis of cancer uh, but, might, but might be eligible for this particular study. So be on the lookout for, the, for that one. It's called the Nuance Diabetes um, hmm. Cohort and Study for Early Detection of Pancreatic Cancer. Um, beyond that, we're also trying to you know, establish an early detection initiative with the NCI um, you know that that will you know help to expand this beyond you know this new onset diabetes cohort. Um, so that that's that that will be a couple of years in the making, um, but we're eventually moving to, towards making this um, more of early detection in general, so that we can you know help to shift that percentage of patients who have um, you know late stage metastatic stage four pancreatic cancer at diagnosis to more earlier stages. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know it's fifty to 
Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, as you know, you know, this is a, you know, kind of a silent disease until it becomes, you know, um, advanced. And so that's what we want to try to use the imaging as well as other blood-based, you know, markers to help us, um, uh, you know, detect the, the disease earlier. So that, that's another thing that we're, we're trying to put together in, in collaboration and, you know, in, um, you know, coordination with this new onset diabetes thing, which is our, our first kind of uh, foray into the early detection, um, you know, uh, initiative that we're talking about. Um, as far as radiation is concerned, you know, we, we have several different clinical trials that we're trying to um, begin to do um, that will allow us to, again, deliver these higher doses of radiation safely um, in, in the right patients. You know, again, I, I can't emphasize, you know, selection of patients is, is very important here, where it's not everybody that we, you know, think is going to benefit from this. And so what we need to identify are the, the proper markers you know, both from the imaging as well as from maybe blood, you know, specimens that we can detect, you know, proteins or other markers of the cancer in the blood um, or through biopsies. So these, these are other research initiatives that we're, we're undertaking here, um, you know, both in my lab as well as, um, you know, throughout the institution and in collaboration with others that will allow us to identify these patients and, you know, really personalize the treatment of the patients going forward. And that, that's how I think we're going to make a difference as far as the therapy is concerned. You know, really identifying and matching the patient to the correct drug and or radiation therapy that will, you know, help to you know, give them the best probability and best chances to, to survive. Well, it's exciting stuff. And I, and I know we're going to get there. It's just, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, right? And so on that note, Eugene, tough question here. Let's say I give you a blank check. And budget's not an issue. Um, the amount is infinite. Where would you put that in terms of helping to find a cure for pancreatic cancer? Wow. Yes, that's a great question. If we were able to have unlimited resources, I, I think that the, the, the two areas that I would invest most heavily in would be ways to improve our early detection of the disease. So again, we want to shift, you know, the disease towards, um, you know, identifying it at an earlier stage where it's potentially curable. Um, and I, I think that that's, you know, one of the exciting areas that, again, the NCI and, you know, other organizations, including yours, um, are investing heavily already. Um, but the, the resources are still limited and, you know, what we can do with those resources, you know, has to be very focused. Um, so, example, for example, new onset diabetes, um, but that, that doesn't encompass all patients. Um, we're not necessarily identifying the patients who have a, a strong family history, um, you know, of pancreatic cancer or other cancers, you know, in that cohort. Um, so, if we're able to expand this and do this more on a, a wider scale, um, you know, I think that that would be, you know, money well spent and a, a good investment, um, you know, from the early detection side of it. Um, the other the other way that I would um, you know approach the the therapy um, side of it um, would be to look at and see how we can incorporate uh, the immune system you know and turn this from what we call a cold cancer into a hot cancer mm -hmm. uh, immunologically speaking. Um, so pancreatic cancer right now um, is you know by and large considered a a, a cancer that does not um, responds to immunotherapy treatments. And so if we can invest money to figure out how we can change that into something where the immune, the immune system can be used against the cancer, um, I, I think that that would, you know, completely change, you know, the, the face of the disease and, you know, how we, how we think about it and how we treat it as well as the outcomes for our patients. Um, and this could involve, you know, not only you know immunotherapy drugs um, and you know targeted agents, but also potentially radiation therapy. Um, so this is again you know one where I, I think having multiple experts at the table, bringing their ideas together, um, and, and coming up with a comprehensive um, you know way to attack this particular um, you know very difficult biological problem, um, you know could could translate into you know you know immense gains in terms of, you know, the survival results of our patients. 
So I think that, that that's where I would I would you know, focus the, the the efforts right now. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to shift gears, and this is really the last question. And and so you know we have this. Uh, there's a running joke, and I know we were in Nebraska a couple years ago. We had a, a research symposium with doctors, scientists, oncologists, surgeons from all around the country. You were one of them, and Dr. Hollingsworth, who helped put on the uh, the event there at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. He's run a couple times for us in the Lincoln Marathon. I was just with uh, some of your colleagues in New York and. You know, it came up. I, I, I guess I'm putting this out that you do not have to run for Project Purple in order to receive a research grant. Because uh, I think that one Daphna Barsagni said, "Hey, I don't run. I don't run." And I said, "Daphna, it's okay." But her, someone in her her lab, Jane Cullis, has run a lot for us um, in the past, and just kind of kind of running joke. But in all seriousness. Um, you are running with us in the New York City Marathon, and for our audience at home, day to day, you're fighting pancreatic cancer, you've got a young family, and you decided to run the New York City Marathon. So what's that been like? And then you live in Houston, where we talked about originally the humidity has been sky high. I mean, it's probably going to be like in the hundreds until like November. So, right. well, I, I was inspired by your organization. Quite honestly, I mean, you, you guys have done an incredible job, you know, raising funds and awareness for this disease, um, and you know, it's just my my way of trying to give back, um, you know, and, and contribute back to your organization. You know, quite honestly, um, you know, what, this this all started, you know, uh, about two months ago. Yeah. Um, you know, Joe Herman and I, uh, we were just walking down the hallway one day, just you know, talking, and then he said that he was. Um, going to run the marathon, um, and it's, it was something that I always wanted to do. And he, he's running this, um, you know, for the V Foundation yep. uh, and raising, raising funds for their organization. Um, and you know, I, I said, well, I'll, I'll just train with you. Um, you know, and he offered to to try to find me a spot, but I was like, oh, I mean, it's kind of late in the game, and I'm not really in, in the best shape of my life right now. <laughs> um, so I'll just train with you, and if I if I can get into you know um, you know and be sponsored by a, a charity or something like that. You know that's great, but otherwise I'll I'll, I'll have helped you train for it, um, and also gotten into better shape. Um, but as as we started training over the you know past you know few weeks, um, you know then then I reached out to you, Dino, and said, you know I I think that I can actually do this. I, I was I was finally getting the confidence that I could actually run for several miles at a time and not you know kill myself. <laughs> um, so you know once I got to that level of um, confidence about my my endurance. Um, you know, I thought that you know we'd be able to to do something here. Unfortunately, you guys had a spot open, and you know I, I'm happy to be helping to to raise those funds. And you know that, that's what I wanted to do all along. I was thinking, you know, maybe I could you know train and you know get into the Houston Marathon and, and do it that way, kind of a do-it-yourself um, fundraiser yeah. for the for the organization. But you know the fact that we can we can do this in the New York Marathon, I, I think I think is going to be awesome. Well, I am biased, Eugene. I've been blessed that I've run New York twice, and I've run a bunch of other marathons. And this will be your first marathon ever, correct? Correct, yeah. So there's nothing uh, like making New York your first ever. That's uh, It's pretty special, and I can't wait. And, uh, you know, from me, you know, it's pretty special to have you on our team. I'm going to be honest. I mean, we've got our largest team ever. I think I just looked at the numbers. We're close to about 92 runners. Wow. And, you know, our team is on a blistering pace. Um, you know, we just surpassed 151,000. We just surpassed the V Foundation, which, you know, they're a great organization. They do some <laughs> great things. But I am competitive, and uh, we are the number two charity on CrowdRise right now for the New York Marathon, for anyone who's counting. But um, I, I just think our mission is the most important one, selfishly. Uh, my mom is still alive, um, but my dad is not. And so um, anything that we can do for pancreatic cancer um, is what we're about. So. I appreciate you coming on board. It's going to be an amazing experience. I cannot wait to cheer you on uh, and have your New York moment because you just said for our listeners at home before we started recording, Eugene mentioned how he just was in the city taking in uh, the city with his wife for their or for her birthday, and they just had a great time. So uh, there's something about New York as a whole, good, bad, and different. 
um, that's really special. And I've been blessed to travel all over the country and see that firsthand living in this area my whole life. And then you throw this marathon in, which is the largest marathon in the world. It is really something special. It's, you know, it's not, it's not for everyone because if you don't like crowds and you don't like waking up super early and having to sit around for a couple hours before you, you take off for your race or for your run. And the, the fascinating thing, Eugene, to me is everyone knows they are not winning. Well, not everyone, but 99.9% no, they are not going to win anything other than having the own personal satisfaction of finishing the New York Marathon. And that is something that not a lot of people can say and is really, really special. So I can't wait for November. Um, we've got a lot of races before then, and there's so many great things going on. And, uh, you know, as I tell all the runners, just enjoy this journey because it is pretty special. And we really appreciate everything you're doing. You're not only training, you're seeing patients and you're fundraising and giving back to our cause, which is so near and dear uh, for us. So we appreciate it, Eugene. Uh, it's a pleasure to be a part of it. Um, and I, I'm really excited about it, I, not just to complete it, but also just to be a part of the, the entire team and the experience. Um, I, I, I did a test run um, last Thursday, um, got through it, and you know, I'm just super psyched about you know, being there in November. Awesome. Awesome. Well, last question, not last question, but the last thing I will say is for our audience at home, um, and you know, we run the gamut, we have family members, people that are battling possibly, or people that, um, you know, may encounter pancreatic cancer at some point in their life. Is there a place that's best for them to get into contact with you or to talk to you um, if people have questions about radiation oncology and possibly have a family member or maybe then they themselves are battling pancreatic cancer? What's the best what best place or best way to find you and get in contact yeah, with you? Absolutely. Um, I mean, if if they if they want to contact um, you know me me directly. Um, you know, by you know, by by email or you know, just through the the website. Um, you know, there, there's a good way to you know just sign up as a patient um, and, and try to get an appointment that way. And you know, if, if you contact me, um, you know, we'll we'll, try, we'll we'll do what we can to to get you in the door as quickly as possible. Um, but if it's just a general question, yeah, I mean, I think you know, just emailing me, um, my, my email address, um, you know, would, would you know be be the way to to go. Uh, it's just my first initial E. And then last initial K or last last name K O A Y um, at mdanderson.org. Um, you know, it's, it's out there on the internet, so you can look me up, and uh, I'd be happy to to try to um, you know get back to you as, as quickly as I can. Awesome. Well, Eugene, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule not just training for a marathon, but seeing patients and research and everything you're doing. We cannot be prouder of our investment that we've given to you uh, two years ago. And thank you for all you're continuing to do for the pancreatic cancer community. And we can't wait until November. It'll be here before you know it. So uh, we appreciate it all. So the last thing I'd like to say, Dino, is uh, you know, I, I couldn't have gotten to this point without my family. Um, my wife particularly has been through all of this with me, you know, through my training, through you know, all the hard times and overnight calls. Um, you know, she's helped me raise two beautiful boys um, who I love dearly. And, you know, I also want to thank, you know, my entire family, uh, my parents particularly for all the support they've given me. Um, all of this is just a amalgamation of, you know, the, the love and support that everybody in my life has uh, provided to me. Uh, so I feel very fortunate to, to not only have them, but also um, you guys for all the uh, support that you guys have given us um, through these years. And I hope that will make you guys proud. Awesome. Well, thank you for you know all you do, and, and thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, we can't wait to celebrate New York with the hopefully the entire family is there. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be rooting for us. They're, they've been helping us with the, the fundraising. Cool, so, uh, cool. And my wife is kind of my campaign manager. In that <laughs> There's no I in team, as I say, and and you know you're you're getting a privy to my speech at the marathon is. You know, no one trains alone, no one fundraises alone, and no one does this alone. Just like what we advocate to our families and, and to our patients, like no one should fight alone, right? So the same goes for the fundraising and the training. It's a team effort. And uh, that's why we like celebrating with the entire team. And that includes family, friends, and everyone who helped you to get to the end of the journey, which is that marathon moment. Mm -hmm.